0: Matthew, the seventh chapter, a familiar passage here, something I trust that you have all heard at one time or another, heard from some place or another. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Our Lord is speaking, and he says, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be who go in that way. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Our Lord has been explaining the nature of the kingdom of heaven, preaching what is called the gospel of the kingdom. He has told us who's going to be in it. Those who are the citizens of it. He has explained to us for the last few chapters the rule of this kingdom. But one thing that he has not said much about to this point is how to get in the kingdom. You notice that? He really hasn't said much about that at all. He has said earlier that unless our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we shall in no wise enter. But he really hasn't said much about entering the kingdom till now. Here we find an injunction, a command to enter in. That reminds us that if you would go to heaven later... You must enter the kingdom of heaven now. We have a very weird belief about what happens to us at death. That we can just uh, live like the devil down here on earth. But once we die, an amazing transformation takes place. Suddenly we're converted into this wonderful being that just loves to sit up there in the clouds and play our harps, and sing the praises of God. It's absolute nonsense. There's nothing that happens at death that is going to transform you into a godly, righteous being. At death, basically, all that really happens is you lose something. You leave the body behind. But your essential being is the same as it is right now. What's really you? what makes you tick, what you long for, what you hunger for. That will not change at death. We will finally at death get what we want. We'll be able to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love Him without any mixture of sin and unrighteousness. But death will not give you that desire if you do not find that now in this life. If the kingdom of heaven is not something that you enter into now, you will not go to heaven later. In fact, may I say that heaven, were you to arrive there, you'd be in hell as far as you're concerned, because for an unrighteous man, for a man whose heart does not desire the things of God nor love God, heaven would be a hell. I've seen people I I literally thought were experiencing the agonies of hell here in our service. They walk in for some reason or another and sit here for an hour under the preaching and singing and so forth. And they're utterly miserable. Can't wait to get out of here. My friend, what would you do if you're in heaven forever and ever and ever? My friend, that's what they do up there. They worship God. They praise His name. Oh, how miserable it would be for a man who has not a heart that desires those things to wind up in heaven. Utter agony. Utter misery. So to enter heaven later, you must enter the kingdom of heaven now. Jesus speaks of entering in. Gates. ways. A way that leads to life, and a way that leads to destruction. Now, I would have you notice that when we speak of a way, we're not really speaking of the thing itself. We're not talking about the what, we're talking about the how. The means. The way is a road. It's not my destination. The way is a road to a destination, an intended destination. Now note that I said intended destination. Oftentimes we get on a way, we get on a road, and we never really intended to wind up where that road has taken us. Madison gave us a very vivid testimony last night. And certainly what he said was, had been true in his own life has been true in many of our lives. That we get on this particular way, this path, this road, and we never intended to wind up where that road takes us. The way is the means to an end. Now that's important that we understand this because Jesus is talking about two roads, two ways. And it's important that we recognize from the onset that both of these two ways advertise themselves as the way to life. There's a big sign over both of these two ways saying life this way. If you want life, come down this road. This is the way to life. You see, over this way that Jesus says leads to destruction, there's not a big sign that says hell this way. You know, if you want to go to hell, here's the road right here. The road to hell... As we say, is paid with good intentions, but it's also marked with a sign that says life this way. The people who are walking that road, that path, do so. Not because they are desiring destruction. No one desires destruction. They walk that way because they think that is the way to life. You see, everybody's looking for life. By life, I mean that which satisfies, that that which makes you happy, that which scratches that itch, quenches that thirst, causes the ceasing of the restlessness of your soul. That's what I mean when we speak of life, an eternal life as Jesus would define it to us is not so much life that's simply long, a lot of life. But life that is of a completely different quality. Life that's worthy of the word and name, life. And everybody's walking down a road that they think will take them to life. You'll notice in our text that Jesus does not talk about many ways, a dozen ways, several ways. He just says there's two ways, just two roads. Now that seems strange because to our eyes it seems like there are so many paths, so many roads out here in the world. But when it gets right down to the nitty gritty, there's just two. And that is a biblical theme from day one. You find Adam and Eve. There's two ways to clothe clothe yourselves. You can do it the fig leaf way. Or you can do it the animal skin way. Take Cain and Abel. There's two ways to offer sacrifice to God. There's the bloodless way of Cain. There's the blood shedding way of Abel. There is that way of Babel. There's the way of blood. There's the way, Jeremiah says, the way of the blessed man who trusts in God. There's the way of the cursed man who makes flesh his arm. There's the way of the flesh, and there's the way of faith. Over and over again in the Scripture, it's really quite simple. It boils things down to just two ways. And that's a lot simpler. I mean, I'm a pretty simple fella. If you tell me there's a thousand ways out here, and you've got to find the right one, that gets pretty difficult. But when you say there's just two, that's a little easier. There's just two. This is the right way and the wrong way. See, everything in life boils down that way. There's the right way and the wrong way. There's the true way. There's the false way. And when it comes to the matter of religion, there's man's way and there's God's way. There's really just two ways. I want you to notice here how these two ways are contrasted. Three contrasts that are found here in our text. First notice the contrast between what is described as the broad or wide way and the straight way. Now, the word straight is not straight like straight as an arrow, but straight like the Straits of Magellan. The Straits of something is the narrow, tight. Uh, The Straits of Magellan is that small passageway through which ships must pass. So the contrast here is between a wide, a broad way, and a tight, narrow, straight way. You see, era, as I have explained before, by its very nature, is very tolerant, inclusive, broad, flexible. Truth, by its very nature, is very rigid narrow, intolerant. Let let me give you an example. And, And I'm saying this because, as you well know, Christians are accused of being narrow, rigid, inflexible, intolerant, right? Well, may I point out that that's simply the way it is with truth in general. Truth, by its very nature, is rigid, intolerant, inflexible. i give you an example again. If I say one plus one equals... Question mark. How many wrong answers can you come up with? You can come up with a jillion wrong answers. You see what I'm saying? Era is very broad. How many right answers can you give me? Just one. Truth, by its very nature, is very limited. Very narrow. Very rigid. Very intolerant that which is true stands in opposition to all that is error there is but one truth there are many many errors you understand why jesus then describes this way that's false this way that's a lie this way that advertises itself as the way to life but actually the road to destruction he says it's very wide it's very broad all inclusive There's many, many ways, you see, to go to hell. There's the way of indulging the flesh and its appetites. Desiring, seeking life by that which feels good. If it feels good, do it. I want it. My body wants it. I desire it. This is what will make me happy. This is what will satisfy me. There are many who are walking that road. There are others, certainly, shall we say, if we had our pick, we'd rather live next door to this guy, who see other things as satisfying. A lot of money, big house, high position, well thought of in society, and they're on other roads. Then there are those that are on the way of false religion, thinking that their set of beliefs will be that which causes them to arrive in heaven. Now, in actuality, this is all the same road. I know it doesn't look like it. It's all the same way. It's still that broad way. You see, the broad way is like an interstate highway. It has a lot of lanes. Some of these folks out here in the fast lane... They're on the express lane to hell. Others here are over here in the trucker lane, you know, a little slower. Some are traveling faster, some are driving slower, some are driving big cars, some little cars, but they're all on the same road, but it has many, many lanes. The narrow way, on the other hand, this other way, this way that leads to life, is not like an interstate highway at all. It's more like a trail. It, it's more like a path. It allows only one person at a time to pass through it. And you have to squeeze. It's tight. It's a straight gate. Straight, narrow, inflexible, intolerant. It's a difficult way, as we will see. Now, you know as well as I do that Christianity would fare just fine in this world if we would but concede this one thing if we would say that Jesus is simply a way to life. You know, the Muslims have their way, the Jews have their way, and you well know how uh, it's like sicking a mad dog on you to get on TV and be interviewed by somebody and say that I believe that Jesus is the only way. Or oh, you'd be the world's darling if you'd just give up that point. But that is where the offenses, I've spit it out here, that is where the offensiveness of Christianity lies. That Jesus did not say, I am a way, a truth, a life, I am the way, the truth, the life, and there is no other way to the Father but by me. To make me give up that point causes me to give up Jesus, the Jesus of the Scripture. Oh, I can have a false Jesus that is a way. But the scripture reveals to us a Jesus who said he was the way. Now, that's pretty inflexible. That's pretty intolerant. When you say there is no way to the Father but by me. But remember, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. To surrender this point must mean that I surrender yeah. So that's the first contrast. Do you understand this broadway? Many lanes on that interstate highway heading to destruction. And then the second contrast is found in the contrast between that which is easy and that which is difficult. That broad way is an easy way. The narrow way in fact, what is called Nera in verse 14, the better translation would be hard or difficult is the way. Verse 14, if we were put it in modern language, would say because Nera is the gate and difficult, hard, is the way that leads to life. That's the second contrast. The broad way is an easy way. The narrow way is hard and difficult. Now, why, why is that? Well, on the broad way, everybody's going in the same direction. Now, some may be going a little faster than others, a little slower than others, and so forth, but everybody in general is heading down the same path. Again, it's like an interstate highway. you got a whole bunch of lanes over here, but at least everybody's heading in the same direction. It's the herd mentality, if you will. When you get on the narrow way, you're going to find something that you are going, as we say, against the flow. You're cutting against the grain. You keep running headlong into folks heading the opposite direction. Now I, that's not to say that on the Broadway there there are some difficulties. The problem is the road itself is easy. Your difficulty comes with some other people on that road with you. It's the it's the traffic. That's really the only problem that people have on the Broadway. Their complaint is that other folks are getting there before they are. Right? I mean, that's basically it. It's not the road's fault. To them, the road is easy. The road is great. It's the traffic. You know, there's some of those folks driving those big old trucks, that the big boys, you know, the big dogs that are blowing my doors off, running me off the road. Looking at Chuck when I say that. And then there's some of those in those little sporty models, you know, with the classy chassis that are always cutting in, cutting me off, getting there before I can get there. You understand what I'm saying? The basic problem on the Broadway is not with the road, it's with the traffic. It's with others who are getting there before you get there. And then there's old granny. I guess we can talk about grand folks now that I am one. There's old granny driving 30, uh, you know, when the speed limit's 70. And then there's you out there with your family wagon, the family traveler or whatever it is, you know, uh, clogging up the traffic. That's the problem on the Broadway. It's a great road, as far as you're concerned. You only complain that you can't get down it fast enough. There's people getting to what you want faster than you can get there. They're cutting you off, cutting in in your lane, slowing you down, getting in your way. But it's not the road's fault. It's the traffic. Now you here on the narrow way, it's not the traffic. There's not much traffic on the narrow way. And the folks that are walking down the narrow way are glad to help you out. Glad to give you a helping hand. they are fellow travelers, fellow pilgrims. i tell you what the problem is there. It's the way itself. It's the road. It's difficult. It's hard. There's pitfalls. There's trials. There's obstacles in the way. Oh my, that narrow way. There's twists and there's turns. There's switchbacks. There's hills. There's valleys. Oh, it's a difficult, difficult way. So the two contrasts so far, one is broad, wide, the other, narrow. And then the second contrast is that one is easy, an easy way, while the other is a difficult way. And then the third contrast that our Lord brings to our attention here is a contrast in numbers. How many are on those ways? The broad way is traveled by many. The narrow way is traveled by few. Few there be that find it. You see, everybody's looking for life. Few there be that find this way that leads to life. Now, everybody's on the road, they thinks taking them to life, you understand. But few there be that are actually on the way. This difficult, difficult path that leads to life. Now that would sound very strange to the people who are sitting in Jesus' audience. If I had been in that century, in that culture, I would have found those words very strange to hear, because I, like most Jews, would expect to find that when Messiah comes, that the whole nation will believe on him, and that we're just all going to go in as a bunch, sort of We get in as the bunch. And there's folks today that think they're going to get in as the bunch. The the bunch are going to get in. My family's getting in, so I'm getting in. My church's getting in, so I'm getting in. We're going to go in as a bunch. And that's how a first century Jew would have thought. The Messiah's coming. The whole nation will be saved. We'll all follow Him. And here our Lord is explaining what becomes painfully obvious before too long to every everybody's eyes. Is that no... If he's the Messiah, there's just a few. There's just a few that are traveling and walking this way. There's just a remnant. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school, that Isaiah, as many of the prophets, pointed out that they would just be a remnant. God's remnant that's preserved. And my friend, things haven't changed very much in all these years. It's still just... A remnant. A small number. Do you realize that when I meet somebody and they find out I'm a pastor, do you know what? And I'm talking about basically people out here in the world. You know, the first question they ask me, how big's your church? How many you got? Because you see, to a man in the world, that's what impresses him. Numbers. How many? The more you got, the more numerous you are, the more impressive, the more powerful. And surely it means the more right on you are. Right? But if I read the New Testament, if I read just these two verses, I ought to be very skeptical of anything big. Many. Now, do now you understand from a preacher's point of view, I always want more instead of less. I'm never content with what we got. I always want more. And I think every preacher of the gospel, if he's worth anything at all, that's his attitude. He always wants to see more people. We want to see the kingdom of Christ increase. I, I utterly despise this, this idea of we four no more. You know, uh, you know, we're just trying to... The chosen few. I believe in the chosen, but I believe it's the chosen many. At least in the long run. But at any point in time, it's generally very few. It's always the minority opinion that is the true opinion. Now, I'm not saying you understand. There's lots of folks that are small and wrong. But I'm immediately skeptical of the idea that because we are many, that means we must be right. Our Lord is telling us to think in other terms that there are few. Scarcely shall one enter the kingdom of heaven. Contrary to the eschatological expectations of some of my buddies, I don't ever expect to see the time come when Christianity will dominate the world. When it will be the popular thing to be a Christian. When it will be the in thing. The thing that is highly esteemed to follow Christ. I don't ever expect it to be that way because you see, when it's sort of tried to be that way in the past, when Christians have seized power, when they've taken control, when they've taken over, Christianity ceases to be Christianity. It is designed you see, the narrow way wouldn't be that difficult anymore. In fact, it wouldn't be the narrow way anymore. It would be the broad way. It wouldn't be the difficult way. It would be the easy way. If we weren't in the show. Christianity, God has designed it this way to be in difficult circumstances. Few, few that find it. Now you'll notice that at least in our text, Jesus has not given us the reasons why this is so. He just states that it's so. Narrow, instead of broad. Difficult, instead of easy. And few that find it, instead of many. He really hasn't explained yet, why that's the case. If you want to know why that's the case... Read the rest of the book. (laughs) For what follows from this point forward, you see, this is quite early in Jesus' ministry. At this point, it appears to His disciples that the whole nation, you know, for all they know, the whole nation is going to believe on Jesus as their Messiah. And these guys are in on the ground floor. You know, we always want to get on the ground floor of something. You know, Microsoft or... Amazon.com. You know, we want to be one of the first on the scene. Get it on the ground floor, and you know, when it goes up, we go up with it. We hit your wagon to a star, we say. That's exactly what the disciples at this point would have thought. Here's the Messiah, and we're, we're the twelve. We're His cabinet. When He takes power, we're going to get the positions of power. And Jesus is explaining something that they certainly did not realize at this point. That it's hardly going to be that way. There's just a few, just a few, who will hear, who will receive, who will believe. Why that's so is going to be explained through the rest of Christ's ministry and through the rest of the New Testament. I'll give you the condensed version very quickly. Three reasons. The first reason that many travel down the Broadway, go that easy way is because it just seems right. It just feels right. I mean, it does. It just makes sense. That's how a natural man thinks. It dovetails, that Broadway way, just dovetails very nicely with man's own conception of God, who God is, and his own conception of himself. I mean, if I was setting up salvation, how would I do it? Well, I'd say, oh, you good folks get to go to heaven. all you bad folks go to hell. And you good folks better be good enough. You better reach this standard or I'm not going to let you in. Isn't that how you do it? Isn't that how man thinks? You look around at false religion. Oh, there's some that do this, some that do that. But I tell you, false religion always has as its core belief, its central belief, that it is by my own merit, by my own achievement, by my own doing, that I will make heaven. I will make my way, get there somehow. I'll lift myself up. I'll climb the Tower of Babel, whatever it takes to get to glory. But I will do it. False religion always has that as its heart and its soul. That if you get to glory, you'll get there because you did this and this. I used to ask people the difference between salvation by grace, salvation by works, by asking this question. If I said, "What if you believe you're saved, why do you believe you're saved? Ask someone this question. You think you're going to heaven? Why? And I guarantee you what the first word out of their mouth will be. I. now what they'll say next I don't know maybe I did the first word out of your mouth God God did this God did that now, does this mean you didn't do anything? Well, no, you did a lot of things, I'm sure. But the root cause, the central cause of your salvation is God did this. But God, says Paul. Here's where you were, but God. This Broadway just seems right. It feels right. It just makes sense to the natural man. Whoever heard of salvation by grace? I and mean, you look through some of the parables of the New Testament that explain salvation by grace, and none of them make sense. None of them seem right. You know that fellow that went out and he had some work to do, needed some work done, so he went downtown and he saw some laborers standing around and he said, now y'all go work out there in the field and at the end of the day I'll pay you a penny, a denarius, common day's wage for the common man. And then a little while later he went there about nine o'clock in the morning, and there's still some standing around, you go out there and work, and when the day comes I'll pay you what's right and all day long, he keep going back and hiring more folks. And finally, at the last hour of the day, five o'clock in the afternoon, one more hour to work, he goes and he hires up some folks. Go work, and I'll pay you at the end of the day what's right. Well, the day ends. He begins to pay them. And he pays every man a denarius. that seem right to you? You say, well, this, just, this just doesn't make sense. Well, you're not alone. That's exactly what these folks, especially those folks that have been out there in that hot sun, hitting it hard all day long, they sure didn't like this. How dare you make them the equivalent, the equal of us? How dare you give them what they don't deserve? Now that's just one example of what something we find as a common theme in the New Testament. That men don't like, deep down, don't like the idea of salvation by grace. Salvation being the gracious act of God. Rather than something I myself have merited by my own achievements. It just doesn't seem right. And then, secondly, the broad way is the way that puffs up man's pride. Pride. Now, that makes sense. Being the Broadway is that which points man to his own achievement, his own merit, something he's done. It's only inevitable then that the Broadway tends to puff us up in pride. Oh, I would never do that. Why why don't you do what I've done? You know, I had enough sense to come in out of the rain. Why don't you have enough sense to come in? Along with the idea of salvation by merit in human achievement comes along as its corollary the condemnation of those who have not done what I had the good sense to do. My friend, the narrow way utterly destroys the ground of boasting, of arrogance, of pride. You talk about something that crushes your ego... Let God get a hold of you. Let God teach you what a miserable worm you are. Let Him show you that the best thing that you could ever produce isn't fit to stand before His holy scrutiny. Let Him show you that if you get to glory, it will be because He graciously, mercifully forgives your sin and blesses you. With the gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus. You see, if you understand salvation by grace, if you truly understand it, it will absolutely destroy your pride, your arrogance, your boasting. And then thirdly, the broad way is basically, at its core, the way of unbelief. It's a way that does not believe what God Himself has revealed. I mean, let's just take this verse in front of us. Jesus is clearly, I don't know how you can read these words and come to any other conclusion, that the way to glory, the way to heaven, is a very difficult, hard, narrow way that very few people are on it. Now, how many folks out there in the world believe that? That just a few folks are going to make it to glory. How popular is that today? Well, you well know, and I'm sure you've had conversations with people that will say, Well, you think you're the only ones going to heaven. Well, no, I don't think that. Thank goodness. Praise God. But I do believe it's few and far between. And I believe that because that's what our Lord has said. There was a man came to him one day and says, Lord, are there few that be saved? You know what our Lord replied? He said, oh, well, you know, don't believe that stuff. Come on. Uh, You know, what did he say? Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. That's what he said. If I'm honest with the words of my Lord, then I must believe this. That this is difficult. This is hard. Not many. Not many. We're going to read about many in the next section, next week. If you can't wait, look at verse 22. Many. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Many. There's the many. Many who thought they were on the way to life. Many who said, Lord, Lord. Many. Our Lord says, no, not many. Few. When I was about 10 years old, my family took a vacation to, out to El Paso, Texas. And an uncle, an aunt, a cousin about my age lived out there. And this would have been probably when I was 10, that would be about 1958. Travel. In those days wasn't quite as easy as it is now, and we had traveled what seemed to be for months across West Texas. I think that was the first time I heard the old saying, the sun is risen, the sun is set, and here we is in Texas yet. It seemed like we had been on the road for weeks. Old two-lane highway out there in the middle of nowhere, nothing, miles and miles, nothing and nothing. And, of course, I was just chewing at the bit to get there, to play with my cousin, all the fun that was waiting on us, and it just seemed to take forever. Well, we got to about 30, 40 miles outside of El Paso, to the little town of Yasleta. Little town, 30 miles or so down the road from El Paso. And that's where they had finished the interstate. Highway 2 from El Paso. They had managed to get about 30 miles. Of course, this was 1958 or so when the interstate highway system was just being built. And so we come to this place where the old road, that old two-lane road we've been on forever and a day, goes on this way and this brand new interstate highway. And I mean, in those days, interstate highways was a rarity. And man, you get on one of those things and it just seemed like you you had all the room in the world. I mean, it's smooth sailing. We came to the place where you got on that interstate to head on into El Paso. Well, the businesses in Yesleta and every one of these little old towns to El Paso that grew up along that old highway obviously didn't like the fact that all of this traffic that used to come right down through their towns and right across their businesses was now being diverted out here on the interstate and bypassing their towns. So they put up this big billboard right there at the place of the junction that said... This old highway, whatever number it was, says this is the shortest way to El Paso. And as we pulled on to the interstate, I remember talking to my dad and said, Dad, that sign over there says that was the shortest way. And believe me, by this time I was looking for the shortest way, whatever that way was. And he says, don't be deceived. It may be a mile or two shorter in distance, But that road goes right down through every one of those little towns and all the stoplights and all the things that are in the way. We'll get there a lot faster if we get on this interstate. And how true it was. I mean, who's going to be deceived? This is the big way, the easy way, in about any sense Knows, this is the way. Man, be a fool to go that old way. With all its stops, with all its difficulties. Here's a way that has no problems. Wide open, fast as you want to go. But you'd be an idiot. You'd be crazy to take that old road well, you'd either be crazy or you'd be a Christian. Because you see, that's what our Lord is saying. Don't be deceived. There's this interstate highway that says it's the way to life. It's wide. It's got a lot of lanes. Wide open. But I'm advising you. You see that old way? Narrow, difficult, hard. That's the way to life. A couple of verses I'll leave you with from the Old Testament. Proverbs sixteen twenty-five. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. There is a way that seemeth right. And then Jeremiah six sixteen. Stand in the way. The word is highway. Stand in the highways. Ask for the old path. Wherein is the good way. To find rest for your soul. Stand in the ways and ask for the old path. My friend, perhaps today you have been traveling the interstate to hell. hard as you can go. But every now and then. You have to pull over and stop. Sometimes just like most time, when we stop, it's out of necessity. But sometimes you pull over and stop at a rest area just because you're tired, you're weary. You've been riding on that interstate to hell for some reason this morning you pulled off into this rest stop. And while you're sitting there you get out the map. take a look he said you know the map says this road I'm on isn't taking me where I think I'm going the map says I need to be on that difficult hard narrow way right over there may I give you some advice Exit, turn right, and go straight. It's difficult, it's hard, oftentimes discouraging, but it's the only way to life. I realize we haven't spent a lot of time enfolding all of this. Our text doesn't. The Lord yet has not shown us how He is Himself life, that life is found in Him through His death, through His resurrection, through believing in Him. But at the very least, at this juncture, we can see that He is clearly saying, if you want life, follow Me. Follow Me. Do you believe on Him? Do you trust Him? then it's time to get off and get on that way. Let us pray. Father, help us. May we take a good look around us and look at the road that we're on and where it's leading. Lord, may we not lean on our hunches and our feelings for there is that way that seems right but leads to death. May we not lean on the majority opinion, because few there be that find it. May we not lean on that which feels good, is easy, because difficult and narrow is the way to life. Lord, thank you that though this is so difficult because of our own sense of deception, our love of ease, our love of our own selves, our love of boasting and pride and arrogance, that really it's not difficult at all. There is a way that would call us away from looking to ourselves, away from trusting in flesh, away from resting in the lie of Satan, a way that would have us believe and cast ourselves on Jesus Christ, your Son. That we have no hope but Him. No righteousness but His. No ground of boasting except His cross. We glory in what He's done, not what we've done. Lord, we're nothing. We're worms, sinful, flesh. But He is everything. Everything we're not. And He's the answer. The answer before your judgment seat for our sin And the answer for life itself. And we choose to follow Him. We do it, Father, because You've taught us. And You've opened our eyes. And You've drawn us to Him. May You do that work, Father, in all our lives. If we're on that evil, wicked, broad, easy way. Lord, open our eyes. May we know it. May we discern it. And by Your grace, place us on that way that leads to life. Make us so miserable we can't do anything else. Make us so restless that we must find rest. Oh Lord, make us desperate for life. That we'll choose to walk the hard, difficult way if it takes it to find it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.